All right, everyone. Thank you for joining Heal Thyself for another episode, a really good one. Uh, it's Dr. G. And I want to just express some gratitude. I haven't done it in a while, and I just want to uh, tell everyone I'm very grateful to have you all listening and supporting the show. We've done it for quite a while. Um, and for all of you who've been listening since day one, that's amazing. All of the new listeners, amazing. And thank you for spreading this show to so many people. Remember, as I said on episode one, it's all about this informed consent, right? Taking that information, empowering yourself, the empowerment portion, and then making change, right? Making change to your life, making change to your loved one's life. And uh, that's the goal. It's always been the goal. All right, today's show is going to be on sleep hygiene. What does it mean? How do we get to bed earlier and how do we sleep through the night efficiently, right? So sleep hygiene is really important, something we ignore. And then we have a really good guest. Tana is going to be talking about codependency, attachment, trauma from when we were kids. It's going to be such a good conversation. So I'm really excited for that. So without further ado, let's get to this knowledge bar. Sleep hygiene, what does it even mean, all right? So last episode, you'll remember I spoke about the things I do during my day, right? To get my day going, to get the blood flowing, to set myself up for success in that day. But the sleep portion is just as important, right? Setting yourself up for a bed, for rejuvenation, right? To refresh yourself for the next day, right? It's a cycle. So, so important, sleep hygiene, to pay attention, right? So what I say about sleep hygiene is this. It's sleep behavior. The easiest way to say it, sleep behavior. It, setting your body and your mind up for a good night's sleep, right? And we set ourselves up for this better sleep. They can make a difference too. So think about it. When was the last time that you truly wound down for bed? Really wound down? It might be yesterday, but a lot of us don't. A lot of us just are on our phones to the last minute, working to the last minute, finishing a movie, brushing our teeth and going to sleep, right? What happens is the brain needs that time to wind down, right? The nervous system needs the time to put ourselves in a place to get a good night's sleep. So, uh, I mean, I remember in college, I used to study till the last minute, right? Till the very last minute, if I, especially because if I had a test coming up. Study till the last minute, I get to bed, and then all of a sudden, I'm still doing mnemonic devices in my head in bed, just trying to memorize some anatomy. So, really, it's just your brain can't go from go, go, go to get in bed. Okay, now stop. All right. So let's keep that in mind and start really nourishing and nurturing that part of us. So what happens when we get poor sleep in general, right? Neurologically, we know we're going to have lapses in attention. I know you all felt this because everyone inevitably had poor sleep or sleeps poorly. Uh, lapses in attention, your memory is not sharp, right? You have poor thought put, meaning that your just thoughts aren't coming out efficiently and effectively, right? Sympathetic nervous system, that's more active, right? So you're more fight or flight, and that reflects other physiological processes too. Metabolically, what do we see? Well, reduced glucose tolerance, right? So all of a sudden, your blood sugar is elevated throughout the day. You're in a pre-diabetic state, elevated blood pressure. What about your hormones? All right, well, reduced leptin. What does that mean? That hormone that suppresses your hunger, well, that's reduced. So all of a sudden, you're hungry. You want to eat more, right? This, And if think about it, chronically poor sleep can actually lead to weight gain and obesity, right? Disruptions in cortisol and melatonin, that cycle, of course, right? The cycle, the elegant cycle between melatonin and cortisol as they're antagonizing each other, right? So you want that cortisol really high in the morning, melatonin really low, and vice versa at night. But that's going to be disrupted if you have a cycle of poor sleep. Mood changes, we know that. You know, you're moody, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're angry, you're irritable. That's all coming with poor sleep. 
How about your immune system? We see altered immune function, right? Your white blood cells, they're not working the way they used to or they, the, way, the way they should be, right? That's just poor sleep, one night even. And systemically, we see overall increased inflammation. And if you do this chronically with this poor sleep situation, all of a sudden that increased inflammation is leading to increased risk of cardiovascular events, right? So this is, sleep is shoot, it's everything, right? So we have to optimize our sleep. And shutting down can be difficult for some of us, right? Like um, if you remember Sahara Rose on this show, she had said, you are a Christian, you're a Vata, right? And Vatas are very wind oriented. They kind of just, their mind is on one thing and it flows to the other and it flows to the other. They're not super grounded. Um, so for me, it's always been difficult to kind of wind down for, especially for folks who are cerebral. They're always thinking, always thinking. So, um, I've always envied people who can just lay down in bed and pass out, which is which is wild to see. I just never understood that. And many of you listening can do that, and God bless you, but many of us can't. So we require this nice routine, right? So we there's a way that the, our brain basically talks to our body, and it says, hey, sleep is coming, and it works as one, right? And if you do this night, nightly, remember, body and brain love routine. So if you're giving the body the proper signals to calm down, physiologically, everything goes to rest, right? Your hormones start going down, right? Your, your nervous system goes into parasympathetic, right? That rest, that digest. And you need about 30 minutes to an hour of this prep time, right? So you heard me on the last show talk about journaling. And, and you could do this at night. And here's why. You can transfer the worries and all the occurrences and events during the day and put it on paper so you don't have to think about them before bed, right? It's, it's a really beautiful process. When you spit them out on paper, they're not in your head anymore. Uh, so this is a really good practice for folks who are really in their head before bed. And um, it's something that I do when I had a million things running through my head and before bed. So, um, and it's also even a good practice for people who wake up uh, during the night, having a journal right next to you, waking up and being like, oh my God, I have an idea or I'm worried about this and writing it out and saying, okay, it's out on paper. I'm going to read it and look at it the next morning. That puts your head at rest. That puts your body at rest. So not letting your mind run with these ideas is really important. Keeping the journal by your bed or journaling before bed. Sleep hygiene number two, environment is everything. It's everything, right? You got to set the mood, right? It's not just for intimacy. It's for your own sleep. You want to set the mood. Turn the lights down low right? Light disruption is the number one issue that we're looking at with disrupted sleep. So if you have blue blockers, which I do suggest, get them on, right? They're a little goofy, but put them on at night um, because light at night, that's not right, right? You want to make sure your melatonin is not disrupted. And it is disrupted if you're exposed to that, that light uh, at night and the blue, especially the blue light, right? So disruption of your rhythm, right? And your sleep is not going to be optimized. And what, what's happening is that's potentially even leaking over into the morning and disrupting your cortisol. So now it's leaking into your day. So now your day ain't right, right? So get yourself a Himalayan salt lamp. I have one of those. Those are really nice, right? The lux intensity is not going to disrupt your circadian rhythm, which is really nice, but it's also very calming and very warming. So make sure you have one. Put one in your room and see if it's helping uh, set, the, set the mood for your sleep, right? You want your room when you're sleeping nice and dark. Dark as it gets. And this is why I always recommend blackout curtains. Uh, you don't want any ambient light coming in, right? Because that ambient light is going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue to disrupt your sleep cycle. And it's also, and if you remember, I did a breast cancer show. I talked about ambient light being a predisposition for cancer, which is, you might go, why? I don't understand. 
Well, if you think about what it does, it disrupts melatonin. And melatonin is actually one of your most potent anti-cancer hormones at night. So we want to think about how do we reduce and shut out all that ambient light and sleep in a dark room, all right? Do this little test. Try turning on candles once you're done with dinner. Turning off all the lights in your house and just putting candles any, any, everywhere. Uh, no other light at all. And do this for three days and see if your sleep changes or resets, right? You're going to actually see that you're getting tired way sooner than usual, right? I did this, uh, my friend, when I was at her place, she put on the candles after dinner and by 9 p.m. I was ready for bed, right? And that's really early for me. Typically, I'm up at 12 o'clock. So temperature, really important. You want to keep it cool in your house. Nothing above 72, right? You want a colder core body temperature. This is really important because the higher the core body temperature, the poorer the melatonin, right? The poorer melatonin output, the poorer the sleep. What about music? This is something that I love. You know, if you listen to my show, you, you hear me talk about how I play it all day. Um, but I usually stop it around 30 minutes to an hour before when I do these you know, nighttime rituals or this sleep hygiene. Um, but before I play very slow music, low BPM, remember I talked about last week having higher beats per minute music to get you going, right? Because that, that induces a physiological change. Well, do the opposite, right? Now you're having something with lower volume, like classical atmospheric music, which is putting your body in a state. And then once you're ready to do these nighttime rituals, just turn it off, right? Honor your space. Bed should only be for sex and sleep, period. Your brain and your body need to make that distinction, always. There's something subconscious that happens when you understand I'm either here for sex or I'm either here for sleep, but I ain't here to eat and I'm not here to scroll and I'm not here to work on my laptop. Really make it a sacred place for you. And if you have oil diffusers, now's the time to put it on. Get those oil diffusers. We did a essential oil show. I talked about the best ones out there. If you have a diffuser, start diffusing that nighttime oil that really helps you sleep like lavender. So brain stimulation, right? This is why I say no to the phone. The electrical stimulation of not only colors, but those dopamine hits before bed are a no-no, right? This can be said the same about sending emails and thinking about a working strategy, right? No, no, no. The brain has to be in shutdown mode, right? That, that, you know, when you turn off your computer and you put it on shutdown mode or standby mode, that's how it has to be. It can't be in work mode. It can't be in scroll mode, okay? Reading's okay, but with that said, nothing heavy. Nothing super complex, nothing existential that you're going to think about who you are and why your life is the way it is before bed. This isn't the time. You want light reading, relaxed reading, put your brain in a nice place. Don't take in new concepts. This isn't the time. Do that during the day, all right? Movement. What about exercise? Well, exercise raises the core body temperature, so you want to stay away from it for about three to four hours, right? You want to make sure your core body temperature is low before bed. And exercise is not only stimulating that, but it's also stimulating cortisol release. And you want that during the day but not at night. night. At night, your cortisol has got to be trending down. It's got to be a down slope, all right? So with that said, exercise is really important, though, at helping sleep. So you want to get in and during the day to set that cortisol to help you at night. We're not physiologically made to work out late at night, for sure. And, and I know that because I've tried that many times and it just never works. Um, but you can do some light movement, light yoga, light stretching. All right, so meditation this is where you can't go wrong. This is actually something that I do believe everyone should try as a, in their sleep hygiene. Just make sure you're not doing it and falling asleep. I, I'm guilty of this sometimes. So you want to make sure you're doing your meditation and you're winding down, but you're not going to fall asleep. And if you have a problem falling asleep, then just do it during the day. But if you can do meditation at night, it's really helpful because I mentioned it last week about it changing the structure of the brain, right? Learning and memory 
that those centers in your brain thicken, right? But then fear, anxiety, stress, they start, they start reducing those parts of the brain. Remember, the brain is neuroplastic. Um, but the key is it, it, this is going to be really helpful for folks who have issues falling asleep and their mind is running. Why? Because consistent meditation over time helps decrease this area called the self-referential center. That's the monkey mind. That's your voice that talks to you that's not real, but really keeps you going. And that's that voice that talks to you at night. So if you have trouble falling asleep because your mind is running, meditation is going to be your number one remedy, period. Okay? Showering at night. What about that? So I usually shower before bed. It's part of my ritual, right? You... Remember I said something about raising your core body temperature. And if you take a hot, hot shower, it may elevate your core body temperature. But really, your core body temperature is going to be elevated through things like prolonged exercise, right? Sauna, which is a big no-no before bed. Don't do sauna before bed. Um, and showers, I don't think, do enough. I think it's more in the periphery that it's raising, but nothing, I don't, I don't think it's doing enough in the core. So what, and we spoke to, I asked, asked this question to the, the sleep expert, Michael Bruce, which he came in, and he said, actually, there is a little increase in temperature, but when you come out, the drop to cold is actually really helpful because that drop to cold is, start, is stimulating that melatonin release. So if you take a shower before bed, or, or at night, that's okay. Um, just make sure that uh, you're not going from you're not going from a hot shower to a hot room to a hot bed, right? You want that temperature drop from the shower to out of the shower, okay? What about some supplements, right? Remember, this isn't medical advice. Ask your doctor about this. But here are some really good supplements that I myself have used uh, that help me with sleep. And and if you know me, like I just. I have a lot of energy uh, come eight o'clock. And I mean, we did those archetypes with Dr. Michael Bruce about what our sleep type is, right? And there's the bear, there's the dolphin, there's the wolf. Uh, I'm missing one more. And there's a lion, okay? So for for me, it's it, it was, it's a type that's more, their mind is really running at night and, and that's when they get a lot of work done, okay? So I needed to put a lot more intention and energy into making sure that I'm setting the stage for good sleep. And a lot of these things do work for me, but I, I do need to use some supplements to help me put me in a place where my body is like, all right, thank you. Your mind's relaxed. Now my body's relaxed. All right. So here's some of my favorite supplements. Magnesium glycinate. All right. Very simple, very gentle, overall pretty safe for everyone. Right. Glycinate is a form. Magnesium glycinate is a form because that glycinate, the glycine amino acid is really calming amino acid to the nervous system. Remember I talked about nervous system. You want it in parasympathetic, really rest, digest, relaxed. Passion flower. Passion flower, I love this, and I do love lavender. Passion flower can help stimulate the release of GABA. And if you remember, I spoke about GABA on another show. GABA is amazing, right? It's helpful and relaxing before bed. It's a neurotransmitter that it tells our whole body, relax, you're good. The day is done. So passion flower is amazing. Um, and it's a beautiful flower. Google passion flower and just look at it. I'm sure you've seen it before, but it's a beautiful flower. Um, Valerian is a really good one. Uh, it's got a really distinct smell. So if you're if you're sensitive to smells, valerian might not be the one for you, but it actually helps. It's helpful in reducing the time to fall asleep. So if you have issues falling asleep, like in that in that time where you're sitting in bed and you know your mind's running, it can be helpful. Lavender, I mentioned before, as an essential oil, but also as an herb, can be really helpful because it slows the heartbeat, relaxes the muscle, induces slow-wave sleep. That's a deep, deep sleep, the nourishing deep sleep, the one that, the one that is nourishing your hormones, the nourishing the body, nourishing your immune system. That deep sleep is so important, and lavender is really helpful for that. Chamomile is wonderful. I know you all heard of it. There's chamomile tea. 
but you can also take it as an herb, and that's another accommodative to the nervous system. And actually, it has a constituent in there that binds to receptors in the brain and helps initiate sleep. Chamomile is amazing. And one of my favorite ones that I know works for me personally is not an herb. It's serifos. It's phosphatidylserine. And this works on something called the HPA axis, right? That's where the brain and the adrenal gland talk to each other. So if you're particularly stressed, right? And in, and, and this is a really important thing. If you find yourself having, like I do, uh, second winds at night, right? Come like 12 at night, one in the morning, you got a second wind and you're, you can stay up till four. Well, then you have a, may have a disruption in that HPA axis, the way your brain and your adrenal gland talks to each other. So what you can do with this serifos is it actually helps, uh, it helps create a more efficient HPA axis and it reduces that cortisol stress coming out from the adrenal, right? Though that stress hormone. So you, what you could do is take it before dinner and then you take it right before bed. And your bed has to be around, around 10 o'clock. So you take it before dinner, before bed. And what that's going to help do is help re-regulate that cycle of when your cortisol is released so it's back to a healthy mode. So I know that's been super helpful. It's actually been one of the most helpful things for me because I do get second winds at night. My cortisol can be very much so disrupted because I, I like working at night. Um, so think about it. And if these herbs sound really good for you, talk to your doctor. It might help you. But really, sleep hygiene is so simple, like 30 minutes to an hour. Look, I talked about creating a ritual for yourself, reading, right, yoga, a little bit of a light, light movement, meditation. You can do some breath work. Really important things, setting the stage, the lighting, uh, supplements, essential oils. All of these things can help work together and watch. Even if you sleep well, you might even sleep better if you start really putting some more intention, all right? So I wanted to talk to you about this. I mean, last week we did the day rituals. Now we got the night rituals. Now you all know everything that I'm doing, all the secrets. So, so start implementing it. If it helps you out, let me know. Write it in the reviews. Let us know how it helped. That was a knowledge bomb. I really can't wait to get to this conversation. It's going to be really good. You know, I mentioned it's going to be about trauma, codependency, attachment, everything in between. It's going to be so, so good. So let's get to it. Uh, all right, everyone. Today's special guest, very special as always, Tana Espino. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a relationship coach. And this conversation is going to be amazing. I know it because we had a little chat before the cameras went on, yeah. and we were vibing already, right? Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on here. So excited to talk about this topic. Yeah, yeah. So people may not know how we met. I, I was coming in, and you were... Uh, Finishing. Yes. So for all of you who didn't listen to Organic Olivia's podcast, that was a really fun one, but you were yes. on there too, and we had yeah. a little chat. As I was leaving, you were coming in, I said, well, what right. do you do? What are you going to talk about? Yes. And I've been trying to get you on the show. Finally, right? Finally, we're here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, why don't why don't we just introduce the work that you do, and then we'll go yes. into like all of the other stuff. But we just want to sure. know, like, what what are you doing out here? Yes. So um, I'm from Los Angeles, mm -hmm. specifically Pasadena, California, and um, I work with women specifically and couples, uh, women who are you know um, having codependent patterns in relationships, um, anxious ways of relating in relationships. Um, past traumas, and I help them really connect with their bodies and heal all those things that might be impairing their way of relating with themselves and with others in relationships. And, it, and it's great that you do that. Here's why. Because so many of us suffer with that. Yes. Right? I am one of them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, in, it's incredible how uh, we hold that stuff in our body and it affects our yes. everyday and we don't even know. Exactly. Right? Right. What are some of, yes. what are some of the, like, 
behaviors that you've noticed where people are completely in the dark and they're like, I had no idea that I was, this root was there. Right. Okay. So one of, one of the ones that I could think of, when we're talking about like codependent patterns, um, in adults is, uh, we could say the people pleasing behaviors and, um, difficulty in saying no and thinking like, oh yeah, this is just what I do. Like I put myself second and I have to put everyone else first. Mm -hmm. And especially in relationships, I see that often with my clients where it's like, oh yeah, this is just what I do. This is just what I've learned to do. Um, I place myself second and I place my partners first. And I can't really say no because I don't want them to be upset with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's like I, one of the, like the main person. things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's, it's difficult because it's masked as like, oh, you know, like I'm a very loving, selfless yes. person. Right? Yes. I'm a giver. I'm a caretaker. It's, and not that those qualities are negative at all. Like, I think that's amazing. And I, all of us have that, those qualities of just wanting to, you know, um, be that caretaker and, and be giving, right? And it's not so much that that's like the negative thing. It's in the context of when you're chronically placing yourself last and losing yourself in the relationship and that it's difficult to say no because you feel like the person's going to reject you or abandon you, be upset with you. That's where the problem is. Not so much of like, I'm just giving and I'm, you know, this is just how I am because that's amazing. But when you're noticing that, oh, I'm doing this because I'm fearful that mm-hmm. my partner or whoever is going to abandon or reject me um, or be upset with me if I say no, right? Um, that's where the issue is. Yeah. And that can be really pathological, right? Because yes. it's all of a sudden you're, you're, you're just, your happiness is being cut short because you're living in fear. Right. Right. And yes. I always tell people like, and in, in, even in relationships, and I'm far from an expert in that, but... <laughs> I just say like, where, where are you coming from? Is it in a loving place? All of like, where are you operating from love Yes, or, or within fear? fear? Exactly. Right. And the yes. fear is coming. So we, so we have folks now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. so you're saying, uh, selfless and going, Oh my God, like if I don't, if I don't show up this way, my partner's going to leave me. Right. Or they'll, or they'll be very upset with me and I mm-hmm. want to avoid that. Okay. And mm-hmm. this is, would you say that that's one of the telltale signs of uh, codependent behavior? Yes, that's one of the signs of codependent behavior. Yeah, and the reason why that, for someone who's experiencing that codependent pattern, in this case, if we're talking about people-pleasing and um, thinking that they have to be selfless um, or else their partner's going to leave or be upset with them, is that it's that is like a survival for them. And it's really difficult to just say, for, for, them to, for someone to just say, well, just say no, just set the boundary. Just, you know, or, or you know, to, to whatever other uh, suggestions they might have. It's difficult because that's rooted in survival. So it's really hard for that person to say no because they really think that uh, they won't survive without this other person mm-hmm. if they were to set a boundary, if they were to say no, and, and if their partner were to reject them. Mm-hmm. And, and Although if- that's a perceived fear also because... We don't know if that's true, right? Like, right. it's it's a perceived fear. Yeah, which is was was created at some point after some sort of trauma, right? Yes. So typically, with uh, codependency, someone who's exhibiting codependent patterns, they're going to have this uh, some sort of child wounding in their past, mm-hmm. some type of trauma. The trauma doesn't have to be really big as we think of like witnessing domestic violence mm-hmm. or like maybe severe sexual or physical abuse. It could be that, but it could also be living with a parent who might've had um, extreme mental illness mm-hmm. and things weren't stable in the home. Or it could be, um, you know, having a parent um, or caregiver who uh, was an addict or an alcoholic and they weren't emotionally present and just things were really unstable in the home. Mm-hmm. And then it puts that person. So how does then 
I'm trying to make this connection. So then yeah. how does that create a codependency? I would think if they're experiencing this trauma, they, they go within and they just become very, you know, isolated, self-isolated rather than codependent. Oh yeah. We see that later on too. But as children, like as, so when I say children, let's say we're talking about the ages of like, I don't know, birth to like nine or 10, mm -hmm. maybe even younger they want to connect with their parents. So they want, they, they see their parents as like, my parents can't really do no wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if like, let's say they're being abused or whatever it is. Like they really want to connect with their parents because that's their way of survival. Because if, if they're, you know, if we're talking to, let's say a seven-year-old who um, feels that if they don't uh, mesh with what the family system's doing, then they're, they're not going to be able to survive. They're like mm -hmm. kind of kicked out of the family. Mm -hmm. When in reality they're not, but like they won't be able to survive. So they need to be, in this enmeshed family unit mm -hmm. to feel like they're surviving, if that makes sense. Yeah. So then they'll do anything. They'll adapt to survive to whatever it is that their environment is uh, exhibiting. Yeah. So e even like from the outside looking in, they're a kid. They're not going to survive on the streets. But also right. evolutionarily, they, yeah. they must have these biological yes. cues where it says, okay, well, this is the situation. I have to evolve. Without even cerebrally right. thinking it, they just... Adapt. Yes, which is really amazing in a way. If we're talking about like right evolutionary and nervous system function, where where it's like, oh, we we just natural. This is what we have to do to adapt and to survive. Mm -hmm. So it's like our bodies, in a way, are working for us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that way. Like our body is literally the brain that's taking over, telling us that we adapt. Because I can't yes. think of a seven year old cognitively going, right? Well, hmm. this have, is a situation, right? right? Yeah, because they don't have um, that type of abstract abstract thinking at that right. age there's they're very much like oh things are um they're a little bit of egocentricity there mm -hmm. with children it's a normal development and so a lot of the times it's like oh things are caused by me i must have done this mm -hmm. so um what do i have to do to repair this which is part of the codependent pattern i see i see mm -hmm. and they start developing that so are you saying that people who do exhibit codependency when they're older have a childhood where they have abusive parents or is it not always abusive? It's parents? not always abusive. Okay. Yeah. So it's not always, it could be abusive. It could be, you know, the parent, um, that is struggling with the substance, uh, use or addiction mm -hmm. or alcoholism or a parent who maybe has like extreme mental illness that can't really be there consistently for the child and keep them safe. Mm -hmm. So it could be any, any one of those and maybe some others, but those are like the top ones that come, that come up. So it doesn't necessarily have to be this abusive environment. I see. Mm -hmm. I see. So now we have th this child in this environment yes. and they've created these adaptive mechanisms to protect them in yes. the form of codependency. Yes. Right. So as a kid, they, how does that look when they're a kid? Are they like attached to their parents or are they just, um, well, that's interesting because now you're bringing up a little bit of the attachment styles, mm -hmm. which is very different from codependency. I see. Although some people might mix the two up, like anxious attachment and codependency are this one and the same, and that's not really true. But if we're talking about, yeah, how does this look like in children? Um, it looks like the child's um, pretty much kind of being, in a way, uh, very aware of what's happening in the environment and trying to do the best that they can to... Uh, bring in homeostasis, I mm. guess we could say. Mm -hmm. So this could look like um, a child who is uh, obedient or like perfectionist mm -hmm. for the sake of remain for the sake of having um, just peace in the household. Yes, peace in the household. Yeah. yeah, that that could be one of the ways it can look like. Although sometimes um, there might be children that might exhibit uh, some aggressive behaviors and things like that. But it's 
what, regardless of what it is, it's a way where like the system is functioning together, if that makes sense, the mm -hmm. dynamics of the family. So it's like everyone like has their role to play, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like, see. There might be one sibling who's um, the, the caretaker, another sibling who's like the peacemaker, another sibling who's maybe always getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. And like that's the role that they play because there's an enmeshment in in the family unit. Yeah, it's like a it's like a living system. It is all of it. Like it's yeah. it's incredible. So now you have you have this kid coming from that and then they're hitting their young adulthood, right? They go to college. Right. How is that now translating to loving relationships or friendships mm. or something? How is that outside of the family dynamic? What what happens then? Uh yes. Yeah. So let's assume that th those wounds from childhood, right, that kind of had them um, exhibit these codependent patterns. Let's assume that it wasn't resolved or it wasn't healed, and they're still carrying it with them, right, into mm. college and adulthood. Um, what that might look like in a you're seeing in a relationship. Yeah, that, uh, like, sure. Like all of a sudden they're out of the household. How are they now in society? You know, when they're young adults. Right. Yes. Yeah. So we're gonna say like they're they're regular folks, mm -hmm. right? Because. Uh, just functioning well in society. You can't tell maybe at some, like from the outside looking in, you can't tell. No, you can't tell. Okay. Um, you would be able to notice in maybe intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. So in romantic relationships, it could sometimes play out with, with friends or still play out with like their family, mm -hmm. with, with their parents or caregivers. So you wouldn't be able to know unless you're really examining like their, their way of relating mm -hmm. to friends or to specifically like romantic relationships because that's usually when it's when it comes out often. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny that before we even get to romantic relationships and codependency, I've seen it in friends. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've had friends who were completely like, and I can see codependency pretty fast. Yeah. So I can see like, whoa, they're like trying to take up all my time very fast. Right. And then you look and you go, well, that person doesn't have really any other friends or right. any other, any other, or a significant other. So it's mm -hmm. like, whoa, like you're starting to see, you're getting sucked into this codependency where right. you kind of got to step back. And, and it's interesting when I set that boundary, like I'm mm -hmm. going to step back. Like I can't, like, I can't do this. You can't get all my time. Come on. Right. Yes. There was a problem, right? Like yeah. all of a sudden it became kind of weird. And, yeah, and 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 I can see how that works in even friendships. Do you see that for folks or some of your mm -hmm. clients? They they exhibit that in friendships too. Yes, and I think it's um it's interesting that you bring up like when you set your boundary and like that person might not know how to receive that or something something shifts within the friendship, right. um because one of the challenges too with someone who has um codependent patterns is that the boundaries are very blurred. Mm -hmm. Um, so if they are not setting their own boundaries, once someone sets the boundary, it's for them, it's like, whoa, what is that? Oh, this is different. Or like it's, it, yeah, it creates, it might create some tension in the friendship mm -hmm. or not, but it just, it, there's a shift usually. Yeah. Does that show up? Like, I, I need you to be here at this time. Like, like tank, trying to take up someone's like, yeah, Okay. Whole day? So it could show like, yes, it could show up that way, but mainly where it shows up more is. It's interesting. It's it's going back into that selfless caretaking, giving type of thing, like trying to control, because that's one of um, one of the symptoms of codependent patterns is trying to control the other person in the way such as caretaking for the other person, mm -hmm. and so wanting to do everything for maybe their their friend. Mm, so it doesn't have to be like control, like I need you here, like I need to talk to you. No, phone and it, it, it could, be... it could, but it's it's it could look like that, like I need you here, like you know, I need this and, and they, they like really take up more. Me. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it looks like it could look like other ways too. And, and control is, well, that is, I guess, a form of control. Like I needed to be here and, you know, but, but they can also show up like as like overly, you're saying nurturing, like, uh, like yes, like, like giving, 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 
Yes, giving, 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 because I'm trying to soothe something internally in uh, myself. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to soothe sense. like I'm trying to soothe my anxiety. I'm trying to do something internally, so I'm going to focus outside and I'm going to give, give, give. Just depends on their adaptation, basically. You're saying like how mm-hmm. how they show up. Like you you were talking about family dynamic, right? Like right. the perfectionist, the one who just yes. rebels, the one who's always a giver. That right. just still carry on depending on. It just depends right. on who who you are, like uh, mm-hmm. as a person, right? Because some of them might not have right. So some of them might not exhibit all symptoms of like codependent. They, they might each person might have different patterns. Mm-hmm. But yes, depending on how things were in childhood and what the wounding was in childhood, yeah. So um, so then we have now we have like okay now friendships. Then what about now love? How does that show up in intimacy, loving relationships? Because this is the juicy stuff. Now we gotta know. Right. About. <laughs> I want to know like because I want to know if I've experienced it with anyone, and I might not have never even known. Right. Yes. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. So um, the way it would come out is there's uh there's almost like the there's someone who's going to be the enabler, which is usually the the person who's exhibiting codependent patterns. And then the other person's the one, um, usually it, it will be the partner, mm-hmm. who is kind of receiving a lot of things from this other person. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is um, it could be that uh, the the one experiencing codependent patterns, like in this case, I'm just going to say like the woman, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's usually um, common in what it is, is that they're going to pretty much lose themselves um, in the relationship. Mm. Fast too. Very fast mm-hmm. um, for for the purpose of um, soothing some internal anxiety that they may have, mm-hmm. and so then their focus is going to be outward, and it's going to be um, you know chronic, like I said, chronic self neglect, and um, there they might attract men who might be emotionally unavailable, or men who who need them mm-hmm. because then they're playing that caretaker role. So it could be men who um, I don't know, maybe like, I'm just going to say maybe they're unstable in their job as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we have this uh, person who's exhibiting codependent patterns and they're helping them and they're trying to fix them and they're trying to control their reality. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to do uh, different things to maintain uh, the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like that dynamic, that living system too, that they want to maintain yes. it with their role. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting mm-hmm. you said the word attract because yeah. that's what happens. You uh, you attract someone that fits yes. what you're basically supposed to heal. But yes, a lot of us exactly. never look at it, right? We just go with right. what with our pathology yes. and we never heal it. Um, yes, but that's, that's the codependency you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I was going to bring that up too. Yes, so... Exactly. So pretty much what happens, it's like unconsciously, it's like, oh, this is familiar. Mm -hmm. I know this from when I was in childhood, when I had to act this way or perform this way for my parents' love type of thing. And so Mm -hmm. then in relationships, unconsciously, that's how it comes out. We either attract or are attracted to these partners that might um, kind of resemble Mm -hmm. what we are, what we know from childhood to try to heal it because we couldn't back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then it plays out in relationships now. Oh, I love that you said that because I I always say the universe is always looking to correct itself. Just like when we cut our knee, it knows how to heal the knee. Well, it also knows how to attract the people that need to correct and heal those emotional wounds, right? We have a physical wound, emotional wounds, we just don't see it, but we attract the people. And yeah. that's what, that's what like we were talking about, like you have the codependency, like mm-hmm. exactly what you need to heal. You're given this person that allows you yes. to heal, but, yeah. but unfortunately we just jump right back into like that. 
right, that, 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 that pattern. wound scratching behavior. Right, exactly, exactly. Know? And then we yeah. experience that. So now you have, so, so let's say, let's say I'm codependent, mm-hmm. right? Let's say I, I show up as someone who needs that nurturing from someone and, and that someone mm-hmm. is willing to give it. They're like, oh, well, I'm a giver. I'm a nurturer. I'm, I'm going right. to lose myself in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be that person because if I don't give and nurture, I might not survive. Right. And then for me, I'm like, if I don't get the nurturing and be, you know, needy, then I yes. might not survive. Right. So then let's say I come with my partner to you and I say, mm-hmm. listen, this, this is, something is happening and it's not healthy. Right. right? I have that awareness. Mm-hmm. Where do we go? Like, well, how do we start working on this? Right. Okay. So you're saying you're the partner and you're coming and The telling... codependency, both of us, we're just codependent with each other. Right. Like you, you mentioned like talking through it may not be completely helpful. Uh, okay. Yeah. So not that it might not be helpful, but the talking through, we could address a little bit later. So the first thing let's, let's assume, okay, well, first of all, let's assume it's outside of therapy, right? Mm -hmm. So they're just two partners figuring out, Hey, I think we have this pattern going on here. Um, it's really becoming aware of what exactly is the pattern. It's really kind of digging into their past and becoming aware of, Oh, wait a second. Oh, I know where this comes from. This comes from, you know, X, Y, and Z. This comes from because, you know, I always felt like I had to perform for love as an example, right? Mm-hmm. So they're becoming aware of it and they're trying to shift the pattern. However, usually with this, it's helpful to have a mentor or a coach or a therapist mm-hmm. to help the couple or let's say individually to um, bring more awareness into how to heal. This is kind of going into the nervous system mm-hmm. and connecting with their bodies mm-hmm. um, in order to start shifting the codependency. Mm-hmm. And now this is really important what, you, what mm-hmm. you're saying here, because especially when we're young, mm-hmm. these traumas, they don't hang out in our brain cerebrally, right? They're, they're in our body, right? right. And, and yes. I, we had a show with Tim Coleman many episodes mm-hmm. ago who said the same thing. Yes. The trauma is stored in the body, right? Yes. In, our, in our DNA, it remembers. Yes. So yes. you're now aligning exactly with what he said. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have to get into the body, get out the brain, mm-hmm. and get into the body, mm-hmm. the nervous system particularly. Yes. So what type of things is this? This is called somatic work? Yes. And what does that even mean? Right. So soma means the body and we're working with the body to start connecting with the body, to start identifying, um, to, to getting pretty much getting to know how our nervous system works. Mm-hmm. So that's... I could say if, if we're, if, if there's someone that's wanting to change the codependent patterns, it's really getting connected with the body to heal any type of, um, past traumas or childhood woundings that they might've had. This could look like, um, emotional woundings as well, right? Like if they, um, let's say they didn't feel safe as children to express their feelings. Like maybe they had to, um, you know, maybe they were shamed for, just being themselves, meaning like just having feelings that could be wounding, that could be mm-hmm. traumatic. Mm-hmm. So that, and then that's stored in the body. So one way is to really get familiar with how your nervous system is working. So if you're noticing, you know, anxiety or worry or racing thoughts, right? It's getting familiar with, oh, this is my fight or flight state, mm-hmm. right? This is my flight or fight system. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone is mainly navigating, let's say from that or kind of, um, in that state for most of the time, then it's learning how can I regulate when I'm in my fight or flight versus seeing it as something negative of like, oh, I have anxiety or I have this worry when my partner, when I don't hear back from my partner or I have this thing. So instead of viewing it that way as like um, that there's something wrong with them because they feel that way, it's more so getting familiar with 
their body and why it's even doing that in the first place, why it's, let's say, acting um, anxiously in the yeah. first place yeah. and not shaming it um, or shaming yourself for feeling that way or thinking that you need fixing when you don't, when it's just your body actually um, protecting yourself because it thinks that it's a perceived threat mm. being in that relationship because it reminds them from like the past, let's say. Right, right. So the body is saying, hey, remember me? This is the feeling that I had when I was seven years old. Exactly, and yes. it's being relived in the relationship, yes. right? Yes. To heal, but now when we're older, we can cognitively heal and integrate it. Right. We, we're still reacting the same way, right? We're like, oh my God, right. this is survival. I'm in fight or flight. Right. And and the and that's the body, right? Because cognitively, the, the, we don't understand that we don't yet understand until it. we start working through it and become aware. And then yes, we're going to bring in more of like our you know higher brain, your cortex right. in 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 the process of healing, but not just yet, mm. because of. It's still, if the drive is still from that fight or flight state of like, I need to, I need to fix it, I need to help him and I need to control this and mm -hmm. da, 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 right, like all this uh, um, anxious energy, then we need to go and regulate the body first. And, mm -hmm. but also just connecting, like I said, like really identifying like, oh, wait a second, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with me because I have this anxiety. Mm -hmm. This is my fight or flight. This is my body actually stepping in to protect me, right? Cause this is survival. So it's protecting me cause it thinks that I have to be in this fight or flight state but actually I don't, mm -hmm. right? I don't need to be in this state, obviously, unless there is physical abuse happening or domestic violence, right? That's a little different, a but different. like, it's like, wait, I don't need to be responding from this state as I did when I was a child, when I needed to do that to survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I'm an adult, it's different. I need, to, I don't need to be functioning from that state. Yeah. You may have a very healthy or you may have a relationship aside from the codependency that is like, mm -hmm. they have, you have a great boyfriend or a great girlfriend. Or they may right. and they may just trigger that part of you, and then all of a sudden yes. you're like, oh, "Oh my god, I gotta survive!" You know, hearts yes, racing, exactly, minds racing, right? You, right. Know, you're, you're not digesting your food anymore. You're sweating. Yes, so, exactly. But you're saying so, bring awareness to those triggers, right? So it's identi exactly. That's a great point. It's identifying, like, oh, wait a second, this is so identifying it that it's the fight or flight state. Mm -hmm. I think is really helpful versus mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm worried and I'm feeling anxious and I don't know what's going on, and it's mm -hmm. more of like, oh oh, wait a second, I think I'm in my fight or flight because I'm noticing that I'm anxious or I'm noticing that I'm having these racing and worried thoughts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I must be in my fight or flight, which tells me that my body is probably thinking that something here is unsafe, but in reality, there's nothing here that's unsafe. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to use a regulating tool to help regulate my system. And then that way I can, if I need to, like I could talk about it with my partner once I, you know, I'm online again to kind of rationalize these things. But First, I'm going to do something to to bring some regulation into my nervous system. Mm -hmm. Like that would be like the ideal self-talk mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. of someone who's, um, yeah, kind of going through that. And it, I think, isn't it beautiful then when you have that trigger and then you do your first time ever working through that in your life, right? You had it yeah. since childhood. Yes. You work through it in the body. Mm -hmm. And Im imagine how liberating it may feel but to be like, holy crap, I have way more power in my state than yeah. I ever thought. Yes, exactly, exactly. As an adult, because as children, we might have felt powerless in the situations that we For couldn't sure. control and, you know, all of that. So, yes, now in adulthood, it's like, oh, wait, I could, I have control over this. Mm -hmm. Or I'm working towards this. I'm mm -hmm. working towards healing and shifting this. So now, so you bring awareness to that. You work mm -hmm. through it. And as, is it, is it then, is it, as it becomes like a practice of ours, then we can start integrating that part of our body uh, and then showing up in a new way in the relationship? Is that, is, yes. is it simple? Is that really just working through that body and then becoming a new you? 
Yes, so um, th that's a good point because uh, there was actually another element that I was going to bring in that um, that I think is important to understand too. When we're talking specifically about like codependent patterns that show up in relationships, because there's this younger wounding that happened, mm -hmm. there's also this younger part of us or younger parts that we have that kind of step in. Like what you mentioned earlier, like the seven year old. It's like, whoa, wait a second, I know you know I, I know how to play this role very well, or oh, wait a second, this was like that like that one time when, you know, uh, dad would yell at us and mm -hmm. we would get scared. And mm -hmm. so there's this younger part also that needs healing. Oh, I see. So this is where we bring in some of that reparenting to ourselves as well. Wow. So it's getting connected with the... So I would have to say it's getting connected with the body, right, to bring regulation first to your nervous system, having that foundation, then working with the emotions of that and this younger part, the younger parts that kind of step in that sometimes might, uh, I guess they take over and um, doesn't let the adult self kind of make the choices and decisions. So it's working through these younger parts that are wounded. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's working towards th this higher brain part, like the cognition, like, uh, you know, changing the thoughts, right? We're having negative thoughts, being able to change those thoughts, being able to talk ourselves through or talk ourselves out of, um, you know, a, a perceived fear or whatever that means or, or negative, other negative self-talk, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I know for a lot of listeners right now or, or viewers, they're, they're like, oh my God, like this is exactly me. This yeah. is how I've shown up in relationships. And you know yeah. what? I've had that household when I was a kid. Yes. So I think you're offering a lot of hope because <laughs> in, in this, yeah. in this podcast in itself, it's just bringing awareness. You know, yeah. like I said, people are like, oh my God, this is me. Now right. to know that we can like work through the body, work through the reparenting and then bringing right. it to our higher selves. So then we can show right. up differently, completely exactly. differently. Yes, completely differently. Yes. It's, and it's important to have those three pieces there, like, can, you know, regulation in our bodies to kind of heal the, the trauma that's coming up and showing up, healing the younger parts that were wounded in the mm -hmm. past emotionally. Um, and then lastly, kind of working through our, our, with our brains and our thoughts and changing our thoughts and, um, removing the negative self-talk or like the catastrophic thinking of like worst case scenarios and things like that. For sure. And, mm -hmm. and you're a testimony to it, right? Absolutely. Because, yes. And it, because. Yes. Because I definitely had codependent patterns mm -hmm. and it was since I was a teenager, I would, I would see it consistently in relationships, consistently in, in these codependent patterns and, um, also with anxious attachment and when I started seeing a somatic therapist and starting to learn like, oh, wait, this is having to do with my body, um, that's that was like the missing link, I guess I could, we could say, right? Because I uh, would listen to the podcast and I would watch the videos about codependency and trying to learn more, read a lot of books, implement some of the exercises. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I had um, a safe somatic therapist that I can relate with and relationally because that, that's where the healing also came in having yeah. this per other person that's really grounded in their nervous system really safe and secure that we can work through some of these things through the body yeah. and that's important to um have someone that their nervous systems are so very regulated if you want to kind of work through this and heal through this yeah and i know everyone's different but like how long yeah. did it take you to like sort of start seeing results yeah oh wow it's you, yes everyone is different um I'm going to say for me, uh, because I started seeing this therapist for, uh, a month prior to when I, uh, when my book, my boyfriend broke up with me, this was back in 2012. So that was in January, February, 2012, my book, my ex-boyfriend broke up with me and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to be alone. Right. It's like the codependency kind of came in. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until maybe like, I would say maybe 
May, May where it was like, oh, okay, like, wow, I'm starting to notice a shift. Like, mm-hmm. there's no, I'm actually, I'm going to survive to be alone, right? Survival. Yeah. Like, I'm okay. Like, yeah. nothing terrible is going to happen. Yeah. So it, it was, I would have to say it's a short amount of time. Wow. For me. Yeah. Because it was using a lot of these regulating tools. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is also like practice and implementation. Yeah. I noticed even like in the body, right? Like mm-hmm. if you eat really crappy, you don't drink water, those immediate interventions that are kind of small, like just drinking some more water, or eating a little bit better, make huge difference. So yes. I would think that it's in the same in like the mind-body part where you just right. start seeing and then implementing and like the first six weeks have to be huge. Absolutely. Yes. And when we're working with the nervous system, huge could be like a 1% increment of shift because we don't want to push the nervous system, Mm -hmm. right? We're working at that level. And so it it needs to be really, um, I don't necessarily mean slow, but just subtle, the subtle shifts are like actually the big, the big deal thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they, and then it gets bigger and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm a whole new person. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that X, Y, and Z, you know, I I don't do those patterns anymore. I I don't have that anxiety as much anymore. Yeah. So, so for everyone listening, they're like, oh my God, this is me to the T. How do we just bring more love immediately to these folks? Yes, more more love just to self love, just self love. Yeah, self love. Like, right. I know we hear that often, right? Like self love. Yeah. Like, what does this mean? And um, I like to help my clients again because we're wanting to really connect with the body first. We're wanting to bring self love to our bodies. So, one of the things that someone can practice daily is just you know, kind of maybe doing some hand placements. Right. Usually, I have clients like place their right hand on their chest maybe get the right hand on their um, belly or even like their face because we got some nerves there. Um, and bringing in some regulation and just bringing some gratitude to those to those areas of the body. So an example, um, bringing gratitude towards, you know, uh, your heart that like pumps the blood through there. So mm-hmm. kind of in just really focusing inward on how your body is supporting you mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like one way that you could bring in more self-love. Like literally just... Like understanding that your body's working for you. Yes, which it's almost like, well, duh. But then in a way, like we're, a lot of us are really disconnected from our body. For sure. For sure. Even it, like, even me, if I'm running around all day, like I'm not thinking, yeah. Hey heart, thanks for pumping blood, you know, or Hey digestive system. Right. Thanks for assimilating my yeah. food. Yeah. And I would say starting there because I know that the concept of self-love is really, it, it's loose. And so, some people who are like, well, you just got to learn to put yourself first and love yourself. It's like, well, I don't, well, what does that look like? Like, I don't know how that, you know, what, how that works. Right. So if someone is having these anxieties and relationships or codependent patterns, I suggest starting there first because there's a disconnect with the body versus like that. someone that like, let's say ha- hasn't experienced maybe some traumas or some severe childhood woundings or something like, let's say someone doesn't exhibit anxiety or codependent patterns for them. Like it, it'll, it'll probably look very different for them. They could probably do the concept of like what the self love is of yeah. like, yeah, just put yourself first and do that stuff. But for those that are having these codependent patterns and anxieties and relationships, it's really important to connect with the body. Such, a, such so, an important point mm-hmm. that you're saying, because um, we're bringing it back to the nervous system, right? Yes. Again, the body is holding and storing that trauma. Right. So let's like even feel our heartbeat. Let's feel our digestive system. Yes, on they our just hands. exactly. Or feeling like put, placing our hands on our rib cage and saying, "Wow, thank you, rib cage, for protecting mm-hmm. you know my lungs and my liver." Or you know, just really like you know, thanking the body for how it's working for you. Yeah, that body works really important. Like, mm-hmm. I, it wasn't until recently where I realized, like, whoa, I haven't been like, I've been loving my mind and soul, but like. 
what about my body? So I, yes. I even take like 15 minutes every morning and yeah. I lay down on a couch and yeah. I just feel like I feel. I'm That's like, amazing. Oh God, like I yeah. didn't know my stomach is kind of off today. Right? right. So just bringing awareness to the body, I think is so important. If yes. you're doing all the other things like meditation, right? And breath right. work, you got to do the body stuff too. Exactly. Yes. You know? And one of, um, one of the things that I learned in, in my practice and just studying and researching and reading is that we need to bring in specifically, if we're, again, if we're talking about those who are having anxiety in relationships and these codependent patterns, we need to bring in the regulation mm -hmm. before we can bring in relaxation. So I have a lot of clients, for example, um, that might have a lot of anxiety that say meditation isn't working for me, as mm -hmm. an example, right? Or like, uh, well, yeah, meditation is one of the first ones that comes in. They might for say sure. meditation isn't working for me. And we could see that meditation is used as more of like a relaxation. And if they don't have regulation, then the relaxation isn't going to work, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, yeah, they need, for sure. so they need to bring in the regulation first. Okay, let's bring in, let's regulate the nervous system first. And then these other relaxing um, activities then those can then those can be more effective. Right. A lot of people are like, I can't meditate, and it's because their their nervous the system is like locked yes, into activated. sympathetic. Exactly. You know, so exactly. you, got, you got to break that and then get into right. The relaxation. Right. Right. One of the things that I really um, I really want to emphasize that there's nothing wrong with a person who's experiencing these anxieties or codependent patterns. Right. No. It's it's it makes sense why they would do that. Right. It's it's about survival, um, and it's about breaking these these old patterns from, from childhood yeah. and the woundings. And it's just kind of bringing it back into really um, connecting with the body and understanding that their body is always working for them. So when they're in that fight or flight mode, when they're feeling anxious, their bodies are always working for them and thinking, you know, the, the body's wanting to protect and saying, mm -hmm. hey, we need to kick up fight or flight right now yeah. because uh, this doesn't feel safe, right? 100%. And it's not, in, it, look, it doesn't even have to manifest as codependency. Like, there's so much crap that happens when we're kids. Yes. We're so sensitive and open, right? right? Open-hearted, open-minded, exactly. innocent that yes. really even small traumas, doesn't even have to be a family dynamic. Like, even small little right. traumas, like something that happened that you saw at a grocery store or something that someone told yes, you when you were a kid. trauma. Yes. We carry these things. So, right. you know, bringing like just compassion and be like, shit, like I was just an open-hearted kid. Like, Yes, compassion is so important and patience. Yeah, yeah and patience. absolutely. So, but I love that you brought awareness to the body and you're bringing that to the viewers and listeners is that like, yeah. let's start with the body because cerebrally, you can't just cognitively try to put concepts on things right. without like liberating the stuff that's, that's stuck in the body. Right. right. Got to go to the body before you even start cognitively going through, you know, right. talk therapy is great, but the root is in the body. Yes. And it's really challenging to have your brain tell your body, can you just calm down? Right. It's two different languages. Right. Like the body's like, I don't understand what that means. Survival. So then regulation is, it's what's needed. Yeah. Imagine running away from a lion and while you're running, your body's yeah. like, your brain's like, can you just calm down? Your body's right. like, no, hell no. I got to hop right. this fence. Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love this conversation. I really did. Um, yeah. This is, this is up my alley. Like I love, yes. love, love talking about this. You're here in LA? Yes. And how can people in LA find you or you even do virtual, right? You said. Yes, I do virtual as so well. So anyone who's listening, how do they find you? Yeah. Um, you can go on my website, www.loveshustle.com. And I hang out at Instagram a lot. Mm -hmm. So at loves.hustle. Mm -hmm. And you have some yeah. really good posts like um, reminiscent of um, holistic psychologist. She, she does like yeah. very beautiful graphics like you yes. talking about c compassion, intimacy, yes. love, codependency, yeah. everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
I and, love this work. And any any plans that, for the future? Like, what, what what are you doing that we can look forward to or just doing your yeah. thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been working on just doing just a free workshop on um, anxious attachment to just kind of help clients give them some tools to use. And so that's been a little bit delayed because um, I'm working, mm -hmm. I'm focusing a lot on my clients that I have now. Um, but yeah, in the future, I would love to like do retreats mm -hmm. and kind of just help women connect with themselves, heal these codependent patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, but for now, just, you know, continuing to see clients online. I would, I would love for you to do the retreats. I have like a yes. whole Instagram following of people who would want to be there. So I, yeah. I love that you came on the show. Thank you so yes, much for thank coming you for on. for having me here. I appreciate it. Yeah. What a great conversation between us two. Uh, I mean, that you learn something every day, but that was so powerful because I've seen it in my life uh, with partners, even partly in me. And um, just bringing awareness to the function of how trauma affects folks long-term, but how we can heal it. That's the empowering part, right? We got the empowerment right now. We can heal that. So um, yeah, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you. Rate, review, subscribe, and thank you.